0: Thank you for leading us in worship and uh, leading us in communion. Yesterday was a day uh, spent in recognition of the formation of our country. Some celebrate with fireworks and parades. Others mourn at the loss and cost uh, paid by the indigenous people. We come and to, to pray for our country this morning. So let's bow together. Thank you, God, for this piece of the world called Canada. A slice of land, broad and wide, blessed with rivers and great lakes, wide skies and great forests, high mountains and gracious plains, beautiful from sea to sea to sea. Thank you for letting us live in this land, even though we do not own it. This land is your land which we use and trust for future generations. Thank you for its rich history, which includes the Inuit and Aboriginal and Métis people. We pray for justice and wisdom as we work on difficult and abusive relationships with First Nations peoples. Thank you for our system of government, for the right to speak freely and to elect our leaders. Thank you for the freedom of religion and conscience that we enjoy. Thank you for universal health care and a social safety net, even though not all are caught by it and not all dwell in safety. We want a country that is best as it can be, a home for all, welcoming refugees and newcomers, sharing this wealthy country with the world. Bless our leaders. Our Prime Minister, all members of Parliament, guide their steps, empower us to use our voice to help them as they make difficult and far-reaching decisions. We thank you today for our home and native land. Thank you for giving us a home here where we live in peace and security. God, keep our land Canada. Keep it strong and free. Keep it safe and beautiful for future generations. Amen. Well, I remember when uh, our kids were younger, actually for many years, we made the trek across half of this great country because my family lived in Manitoba, and we would go there at least every two years and driving and doing the same route over and over got a little tedious. So we would find new routes to go. Our most adventurous route was to, to go down south and to go through the United States, through some of the great national parks. But I remember we were down, I think we weren't even uh, out, of, uh, out of Washington State, and we began seeing signs for this place called Wall Drug. I don't know if you've ever uh, seen those. Let me put one up for us. You know it'd say only thrifty 355 miles to to wall Drug. And then you'd you'd go on further, and there would be another sign, and it would say only you know 201 miles to go, and uh, and then. You know, curiosity got the better of us. And then they were offering us free free things along the way. Free ice water, wall drug, and it was hot. And so I, I have to say the curiosity got the better of us. And when we got to this place, wall drug, South Dakota, we stopped in. We got our free ice water, you know. Well, you know, God has painted, planted signs, divine signposts in the things of everyday life. But the strange thing is, we've become so short-sighted, we rarely look at what the stuff of everyday life was made to point to. The opening verses of Psalm 19 tell us, The heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day they pour forth speech, night after night they reveal knowledge. But... But to the psalmist, to the God blind and God deaf, they have no human speech, they use no words, no sound is heard from them. The problem is not with the Creator, but with us who have lost the ability to see and hear the language His creation is using. We now live in what uh, Canadian philosopher Charles Taylor calls a secular age, An age in which the world is seen as devoid of a divine presence rather than pervaded by it. Many of us, even as believers, have been so affected by the pervasiveness of a secular point of view that we miss the sacred stuff in everyday life. The poet Elizabeth Barrett Browning wrote, "'Earth is crammed with heaven, and every common bush a fire with God.' But only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest sit around and pluck blackberries. Being so disconnected from the natural world and so deeply connected to our virtual worlds contributes to this diminishment and deafness. So this summer, I want to try and help us get reconnected through a series I've entitled Divine Signposts in Our Everyday World. And I'm inviting you to a journey of rediscovering the sacred in our everyday world. For it is not only the heavens that declare the glory of God, but all aspects of creation that invite us to know and to experience our creator. Now, Jesus, you may recall, was the master of this. He was constantly helping people see divine signposts in everyday life. When he was addressing the issue of anxiety, for example, remember, he counseled his warriors to look at the birds of the air and also the flowers of the field and how they pointed to our heavenly provider. In the summer Bible study, we're going to be looking at the Sermon on the Mount. And going through that, it's amazing. You think about Jesus is talking about salt and light, everyday ingredients. Sun and rain, narrow and wide roads, moths and rodents, daily bread. And he concludes it with a wise and a foolish builder. All of the stuff of everyday life. And this way of seeing a world crammed with heaven pervades the Old and the New Testament. Psalm 19, for example, was written in help to, par- to nurture a vibrant understanding and experience of God by inviting listeners on a tour. A tour that surpasses anything that any travel company could ever hope to offer. This tour is cosmic and comprehensive in scope, giving us a wide-angled lens, First, the first six verses of God's world, And then the next six verses of God's word. And it concludes with a window into the personal impact of all of this on the one who penned this poem. Psalm 19 reminds us that God speaks to us in stereo. Through his world and through his word. And he wants us to tune into both. And so, prepare to be amazed and impacted beyond your wildest dreams this summer as we rediscover the sacred in our everyday world. Now, I've chosen to begin our journey this morning with the exploration of galaxies. Galaxies, because the theme of our summer kids camp is stellar, where we will be launching into an out-of-this-world event. So, here's a little sample. Five, four, three, two, one. Surging command to internal. Engines off! Opening main door. It was good, but we will just see it once. (laughs) As we saw briefly in Psalm 19, God speaks to us through his creation. And it's the theme of the first half of that psalm. Creation carries messages that can transform our lives if, if we follow where and to whom the divine signposts are designed to direct us. I'm reminded of the uh, great Italian astronomer and inventor, Galileo Galilei. One of his many inventions, uh, I think telescope may have been one of the greatest. But, uh, but the greatest invention was because it was designed not to, not to look at this thing and say, oh wow, this is an amazing telescope. It was designed to look through it, right? And it was what could be seen through it that made it so amazing. And as the late J.I. Packer said in his book, I want to be a Christian, the message of creation is this. You have seen the sea, the sky, sun, moon, and stars. You've watched the birds and the fish, the vegetation, the animals, and the insects, all the big things and the little things together. Fantastic, isn't it? Well, now meet the one who made this all. In the book of Job, Job right before the book of Psalms, we have chapters and chapters and chapters of speeches between Job and his friends as they debate how such bad things could have happened to one who had lived such a good life before God. And there is no resolution to this question, just a lot of conversation. And so finally, when we get to Job chapter 38 God speaks to Job, and it says He speaks to him in the midst, out of a storm. So you think a storm? I'd never thought before. This is coming out all of a sudden in the midst of this great storm. He hears God speaking to him, but instead of resolving the debate, he transcends all of the conversation by taking Job on a tour of the mysteries of creation. Here's a sampling. Who is it that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Brace yourself like a man, because I have some questions for you, Job, and you must answer them. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. Who determined its dimensions and stretched out the surveying line? What supports its foundations, and who laid its cornerstone? As the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. And the review of God's world continues unabated from the depths of the oceans to the uh, stars and constellations in the sky. Picking it up at verse 31. Can you direct the movement of the stars binding the cluster of the Pleiades or loosening the cords of Orion? Can you direct the constellations through the seasons or guide the bear with her cubs across the heavens? Do you know the laws of the universe? Can you use them to regulate the earth? It is not only the complexity and mystery of creation that God sets before Job, but the sheer magnitude of it all. Most of the action, you know, the biggest action took place long before humans made any appearance. And on a scale so powerful and vast that not merely Job, but the entire human race is dwarfed by comparison. Some people think that science has somehow pushed God from the center stage to the sidelines and that evolutionary theory has dismissed him altogether. Yet both uh, the DNA and those who look through the sophisticated microscopes. And the cosmologists using the Hubble telescope. Increasingly report back awesome wonders for which they have no explanation. In a national Geographic article, writer uh, Nadia Drake tells a story of what happened when astronomer Bob Williams announced that he wanted to point the Hubble telescope. Uh, They had just repaired it. If you remember, it was first sent out. It was a little blurry. Couldn't take images nearly as far. They were able to get uh, another lens attached to that using the space shuttle and crew. And it was in working operation. And he decided he wanted to... uh, point the the Hubble Space Telescope at a patch of sky filled with absolutely nothing. Blank spot. And he wanted to do it for 100 hours. Well, it was a terrible idea, his colleagues told him, a waste, you know, of such a valuable resource. But as the director of the Space Telescope Institute, Williams had 10% of the telescope time. So he didn't care what other people said he said i'm going to use my time and a hundred hours of it to stare at that blank spot right by the end of the big dipper so for a hundred hours it did that it took pictures of a spot 1 30th a slice of the moon if you will small spot and uh In total, the telescope took 342 pictures of that region, which was exposed for between 25 and 45 minutes. That's how long you'd have to to get each picture. And the images were then processed and combined and then colored. And And 17 days later, they were released to the public. And it turned out that nothing was actually stuffed with entire galaxies. More than 3,000 of them came spilling out in a variety of shapes, spiral, elliptical, irregular, and colors, red, white, blue, and yellow. The estimated number of galaxies in the universe multiplied enormously to 50 billion, five times what they had thought. By the way, they're now up to 2 trillion uh, in their estimates. Galaxies are beyond our understanding and as soon as we were use words like trillion light year Parsec, we are talking about the unimaginable For example in planetary terms the earth isn't very large It is a a fraction of the size of Saturn and smaller than Jupiter's red spot Jupiter however is only 1,000th the size of the Sun if the, uh, if the earth were the size of a pea, Jupiter would be a grapefruit and the sun would be a giant beach ball. I, I, I learned uh, that our sun loses 6 million tons of its mass every second. Talk about a weight, a weight loss program, right? <laughs> Yet it doesn't even make a dent in it because of how big the sun is. And yet, compared to other stars, our sun isn't very big. Indeed, compared to a rather large one like Arcturus, Arturcus, it's tiny, which at this scale means Jupiter is just one pixel. And the earth, there's a small note at the bottom, it says, earth is invisible at this scale. <laughs> Now, there are super giant stars that make Articus look small, but you know you have to stop somewhere, right? The human mind is not really equipped to be able to think at this kind of scale. And that is why the Bible, when when God wants to address human arrogance, he points to the night sky. Isaiah 40, he says, To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Lord. Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name. Because of his great strength and power, not one of them is missing. You notice how God just lets the galaxy speak for itself? Fifty years ago, John Lennon boasted the Beatles were bigger than Jesus. But when the camera pans out away from earth to reveal the planets and stars. Such a claim sounds rather silly, doesn't it? None of the things we boast in, none of our titanic creations or achievements or kingdoms can even be seen from outer space. Israel's King David had no way of knowing the sheer scale of the universe that he was looking at. And that would be discovered in our day. But he marveled that the, mag- that the majestic creator God who formed and filled the heavens would even know who he was. Psalm 8 he says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your hands, the moon, the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of him? Human beings that you care for them. And so sometimes people wonder. Why God created all the stars and galaxies and and whether their sheer number cast doubt on his existence? Why? I mean, if God is really so committed to his people on earth, why would he bother making so many galaxies which have nothing to do with us and which we didn't even know existed until recent years? Of course, I don't know why. But the scriptures do draw out some important implications and applications that I want to conclude with. Why galaxies? Well, one to humble us. Galaxies call us to humility. From the verses that we looked at in the book of Job, as well as the Psalms and the prophets, it's clear that the sheer magnitude of what God has made is intended to humble us in every age. After all, hardly a year goes by without a scientific paper or journal article announcing that the universe, uh, it's even bigger than we realized. And none of us is a big deal compared to the one who made the stars. I like what Philip Yancey said. He said, learning about the universe does little for earthly self-esteem. It does. It humbles us. Why galaxies? I think galaxies, God also, it gives us perspective. To give us perspective. I was just reading Jeremiah 32 recently. Jeremiah, the city of Jerusalem, he's been predicting this and it's falling into the hands of the Babylonians. You can imagine what uh, housing and land prices are doing. They're plummeting. <laughs> the Babylonians are building siege works. And as they're doing this and the city's about to fall, God tells, Uh, Jeremiah, oh, go to your cousin. He's trying to sell some land. I want you to buy it at the old market rate, not the bargain basement prices. And make sure that it's authorized and sealed and everybody knows it. And even Jeremiah is thinking, what are you doing? This is crazy. And yet he obeyed and he addresses God as sovereign Lord who made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. And he concludes, nothing is too hard for you. He looks at those heavens, he, in the light of what this, he's just signed this deed and he's like, how can this ever be restored and this land ever be worth anything? And he looks at the heavens and he's like, okay, I guess you're big enough for this. It gives us perspective. Philip Yancey tells a story of how he had, he uh, had, He said he had spent all day interviewing relief workers about the mega disaster of that moment in Africa. And after three days of hearing tales of human misery, he said, I could not lift my sights beyond that refugee camp until the night came and he saw the Milky Way. And he said, it abruptly reminded me of the pres- that the present moment did not comprise all of life. I dare not confine my, veal- my field of vision to the scenes of suffering around me. I needed to-, to look up to the stars. Well, thirdly, I think galaxies also inspire us and renew our hope. Think about Abraham. In the Old Testament, he was still childless. And God promises that he will have a son who is your own flesh and blood. And Abraham's having trouble believing that. So he says, Abraham, let's go outside your tent. Look up at the sky. Look at the stars and count them if you can. And then he adds, and so shall your offspring be. God is infinitely transcendent, and, but he is infinitely personal. I've got this, Abraham. You can trust me. And finally, well, there's probably more, but I've chosen the fourth one yet. Galaxies call us to worship the creator. The wonders of the world invite us to worship the God of wonder. C.S. Lewis used to say that the Christian does not go to nature to learn theology. The message is too garbled, but rather to fill theological words with meaning. For example, he said, Nature never taught me that there exists a God of glory and majesty, said Lewis. I had to learn that in other ways, but nature gave the the word glory a new meaning for me. I do not know where else I could have found one. I remember uh, being in Yellowstone National Park and there's great, I mean, there's just so much variety there, but standing at the base of one of these great waterfalls and the earth is just trembling and just thinking, and this, the God who made this is so much greater and right now I'm just feeling overwhelmed, right? With awe and wonder at the God who made this. And the New Testament will point us to the greatest deed of all, the greatest wonder of all will be when this God, this great God who made the galaxies, will come and sacrifice himself for us on a cross. That is the greatest wonder of all that should lead us to worship. I want to invite you to pray. As we're praying, invite the worship team to come up. Let's pray. Oh, creator God, the heavens do declare your glory. All around us are divine signposts, pointing us, Lord, to you, giving us lessons and insights into your character, into, Lord, renewing our hope if if we have the ears to hear And Lord, I thank you that you have given us your Holy Spirit, the great translator and interpreter for us, the great guide who takes us, Lord, into the depths of meaning, who opens to us your word where we see even more clearly that this great God is also intensely personal and sacrificial. Lord, today we stand in awe and wonder of you. And we praise you. Amen.